Hey guys, Jack here. Uh, lots of exciting announcements this week, many of which are new. Uh, quickly to recap from last week when we had Greg Raymer on. If you missed that episode, do check it out. Uh, not only to hear about Greg's main event bust at hand, uh, but also to get the details on the live event we're doing with Greg this November. You can find out more by listening to that episode or heading to our website, Just Hands Poker, and clicking on the Live Events tab. Uh, more to be found at our website, JustHandsPoker.com. We have three new weekly installments on our strategy blog. So those posts will include a weekly accompanying blog post about the hand of the week. And this will include some analysis with software uh, and just doing a more comprehensive uh, range-based analysis than we can do sort of on the fly on the podcast. So do check that out every week. Uh, there'll probably be some more concrete answers about the hand there. And also, if you disagree with our analysis on the show or our analysis on the blog post, uh, there's a place where you can leave your comments, and hopefully we can start some really productive dialogue uh, in that section of the strategy blog. Also, every week we'll be alternating between Zach and I just writing an article you know, about some sort of topic in poker, be it strategy-related or not, uh, that we find interesting. So look out for the accompanying blog post to the episode on Tuesday. Look out for that article on Thursday. And finally, on Sundays, uh, our friend John Metz just turned pro, and he's going to be documenting his journey to becoming a professional poker player. Uh, And so there'll be a weekly installment of that on Sundays. Finally, uh, I just want to thank everybody on behalf of Zach and I. Uh, We eclipsed the 10,000 listen mark this past week, uh, or I think it was this past week. It actually might have been two weeks ago. Anyways, you know, we're really excited and proud of that, and we couldn't have done without you. Thank you guys for supporting the show. Uh, and remember, share it with your friends, subscribe, review us, uh, and just keep tuning in. We really appreciate you guys. All right, without further ado, uh, here is the strategy segment with our guest, uh, 510 grinder Leah Wolpert. Uh, really, really smart poker player. Stay tuned. All right. So this is at Bellagio 510. And it starts with a guy who I characterized in IRC as a fish, uh, limping in middle position. Mm-hmm. I uh, make it 40 in the low jack with uh, the ace three of spades. So is this just to recap, this is a nine-handed 5-10 uh, game at the Bellagio? Uh, I believe it was nine-handed. It might have been eight-handed. I okay. don't remember exactly. Okay. Uh. And do you, do you have the, per, the limper stack size? Uh, the limper started with uh, about, uh, I would say, 1. I don't know, 1.5K, but uh, spoiler alert, this limper ends up folding pre-flop. Okay. <laughs> so, more pertinent, uh-huh. uh, my stack, I think, is about 5K, mm-hmm. maybe 4.5. I've been running very good so far. Um. And the other people in the hand uh, are the button and the big blind. And the big blind has maybe, I don't know, 
2.5k to start, maybe maybe a little more. And uh, the button has probably about 4k. I think I have them covered, but not by a whole lot. And uh, the button and I are are by far like the the deepest stack players at the table. Uh huh. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. I okay. Mean- so to recap. I make it 40 in the low jack with the ace three of spades. And uh, this guy in the button who uh, I haven't really seen him before. He seems like he's on the loose side uh, and capable of some aggression. I think he's an amateur, but maybe not. I'm just not very familiar with him. Uh, like I had said, he has. A and uh, hands I'd seen him play earlier. Uh, earlier he had. Uh, Somehow gotten to the river with the four deuce offsuit on a five, six, seven, eight something board and value bet the river pretty big and got called by Kings and victory ripped the, uh, the four deuce off the, the, the low end of the straight. Like he knew it was good and like he knew he was going to get paid off and uh, he was right. Um, so this guy makes it 140 on the button. Okay, is this this player is not a professional, right? He could be. I mean, I think he's been playing reasonably, but loose. And, I mean, he did make that value bet that where other worse players might have might have missed and been content to just win a fairly sizable pot, you know, with the bad end of the straight. Uh, mm-hmm. He went for the value, and a value bet big. I think it was something like... Maybe, maybe even overbet, like maybe even like 700 into 600 or something like that. Uh, so well, he, he mm-hmm. may, may be a pro. I haven't really talked with him or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, that kind of play is plausibly very good or very bad. I mean, <laughs> I don't know what exactly the situation was leading up to that overbet. Uh, but it, it could be a sign of some sort of high level thinking if he, you know, knows he's good there. Right. Uh, but North the fact that he's playing four deuce offsuit is, is pretty telling, I think probably from any position. Yeah. And there's also like a, a lot of times on the show we ask like, is this person a pro or is not a pro? And there's, there's a lot, you know, it's, it's a spectrum. It's not exactly like always as simple as pro or non-pro. There's, you know, people that maybe like play professionally for many years and now have a job and just play as a hobby. And therefore like, they still have really good post-flop instincts, but they just feel like playing, you know, unprofitably lose pre-flop. So, yeah, I, I think from seeing mm-hmm. the Ford, from that one hand alone, we can't, I think, make huge assumptions besides the fact that this player can sometimes play really loose. And there's also, you know, certain players where it's, you know, if you see four deuce, that means they're going to be playing 80-90% of hands. And there's some players who are just feel like there's spots pre-flop where they can do a three bet or four bet with any two cards if they're deep enough and then kind of show up with that. So, Right. Well, I will say that definitely makes me, uh, well, I don't know. I, so he three bet and then we don't know what the big blind did, but it's definitely making me sort of, uh, highly contemplating a four bet here. Well, it's interesting that you say that because the big blind, uh, I mean, I did mention a stack, so he's continuing. And he uh, continues with the cold call. Okay. And he started with uh, 2.4K or so, 2.5K, somewhere in that neighborhood. Yeah, so I think that, to me, that definitely uh, 
makes me more likely to forbet because I feel like we have more dead money there. Uh, I feel like when you know someone is cold calling in this spot again, I'm, I'm I haven't played in you know the deep stack five times ten games at the Bellagio, but in like the equivalent you know situation for lower stakes when this kind of cold call this deep is going to represent you know primarily like pocket pairs and suited aces and hands people want to play pre-flop and you know depending on the skill level of the player maybe even kind of worse suited connectors or suited one gappers so whatever the hand is it's likely a hand that's not going to be able to call a four bet and if we've established that the buttons range is you know pretty wide uh i think this is kind of a slam dunk four bet um yeah well i mean I think it's it's a I still like it as a spot for four betting. What I'll say is uh I think given stack depths, so okay, so you know, if we're gonna make it five hundred here. I'm trying to think this this player is probably gonna be we're probably gonna bring along a lot of the big blinds range to the flop, uh just so that you know that player can set mine. Uh, but considering how sort of face up I think that player's range is, I think it's not something we, it's probably a good thing uh, when he calls with that range of, you know, sevens through tens, maybe jacks. Or worse pairs, because when they're just set mining, you know, if they understand that, they probably should be calling with deuces. But mm. Mm. I mean, reverse implied odd situations can come up with those lower pairs more often, but. It, it's probably, uh, yeah. If he's thinking of it as a straight set mine, then yeah, he probably would call. Hmm. We well, could also we could okay. ra- we could four bet to a larger sizing to give those pairs a bad price. Also, yeah, Leah. Sorry, we we've been kind of going back and forth. Oh. What are, what are you thinking? Oh well, uh, I uh, did think about four betting this. Uh, ultimately, I did decide to call, and uh, the reason is that I felt like the big blind was kind of... Um, I, I, I disagree with uh, where you range the big blind at, Zach. Mm-hmm. Uh, In-game, in I thought that his range would be um, a lot tighter and more uh, more weighed not toward premiums like aces or kings, but toward stuff like queens through tens, ace-queen, or maybe even ace-king, or ace-jack suited. Uh, stuff like that where... Or uh, pocket pairs, stuff like that, where he feels like it's a like kind of like a compromise call. He mm-hmm. doesn't want to play for stacks right now, but he also does not want to fold what seems like a you know an unfoldable hand. Uh, receptive, yeah. this guy was in the big blind. Uh, he to me, I in in my IRC notes, I had him as a kind of passive and straightforward. And another thing about him is I, th- I'm, I might be confusing with a different guy, but I feel like he was talking with a buddy or a girlfriend or somebody a lot of the time while he was playing. And I feel like those those kinds of people who are having extended conversation with uh, with company at the table who aren't playing are more likely to um, play tighter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, not go for thin spots. That I, like they, uh, somebody who's having a conversation with their buddy isn't going to look down at like you know, 10, eight suited. Uh, and it's been three bet in front of them and they're out of position and say, Oh, this is the time to go for it. They're going to be, well, I'm going to fold this and then go back to talking with my buddy. 
Yeah, mm. I, I think it just depends on the assumption of what they're doing with their worst pocket pairs. I think if, if we think they're calling mm-hmm. the vast majority of their worst pocket pairs, I think that's when it kind of becomes the slam dunk four bet. Uh, and then the other thing we didn't discuss is if we think the button is going to five bet bluff uh, and have a you know a somewhat balanced five bet bluffing range. Because if that's the case, then I, I also think it, it makes a call much better. But the kind of assumptions I was basing it off is that you know this player probably has way too wide and an unbalanced you know three bet range on the button where he's definitely weighted towards bluffs. I think if we were to you know make it something like 550 to 600 uh that player is going to be very inclined to fold those hands uh and i think a good percent of the time we would be able to take it down um but you know if you think the bun's going to get really sticky or if the big blind is like never going to fold even for another four or five hundred then yeah i think it it leans itself towards a call i think yeah, this is also my concern at the time uh i'm oh, sorry to talk over you uh, but my concern at the time was uh possibly that I could get five bet bluffed by the button. Uh, I wasn't all that concerned in the moment about him just flatting a four bet because, you know, ace three suited, even out of position, I'm with this while rapidly increasing or rapidly decreasing stack to pot ratio, I'm not going to feel that bad about playing it. Um, I would feel pretty bad if say, you know, it goes, I four bet Nick, and the button calls, and now the the big blind stuffs it in. And I'm just like, oh god, why did I put in 42 bigs to fold? Yeah. Um, I also felt like closing the action. If I see a flop, I'm like, I am giving myself the opportunity to cooler somebody, whereas mm-hmm. I foreclose that opportunity when I have to four bet fold. Uh huh. Yeah. No, I think a call is really, re- I mean, really reasonable. Definitely, potentially best. Uh, it's it's definitely helpful uh, considering how deep you are with uh, with both players, but especially with the button. And yeah, with this particular hand, I, I agree that giving yourself the opportunity to call someone is you know going to weigh pretty heavily towards a call. Yep. Okay. So, uh, going to the flop? So we see a flop. There's, I guess, uh, 425 in the pot, I want to say. Oh, no, there's 435 because of the limpers, dead 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 435 in the pot. The flop is ace, jack, three, with uh, the ace and three of hearts and the jack of spades. Um, yeah, nice flop. <laughs> decent flop. Uh, the big blind checks, um, and, uh, so I guess obviously the decision is to just lead into two people with, uh, top and bottom pairs or check and see what the button does. Um, so Leo, did, did you have any other information about the button besides the one four deuce hand or any type of pre and post flop tendencies? Mm, not really. I just had not seen him until, uh, I had sat at that table, and I guess I'd been playing with him at this point for uh, maybe like three hours, and he oh. seemed um, pretty, uh, you know, pretty aggro. And uh, but overall, I hadn't seen him get to showdown much except for the four deuce. So 
I hadn't really cultivated that many reeds. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, J- Jack, what are you thinking here? So I'm, I'm sort of playing around with the lead in my mind, and there's a lot of like attractive things uh, about it. I think a lot of the aces uh, in the buttons range. I mean, I just don't think he's raising ace jack. Uh, he's three bidding ace jack on the button. Maybe that's not true. Maybe he would uh, three bid like an ace jack suited. What do you think? Uh, I would think he's certainly capable of three betting ace jack suited to the button. Um, I, I wouldn't put it past him. Uh, that's for sure. I think it's. I think his uh, three betting range probably includes uh, a lot of suited aces. It's just kind of you know tough to have those now when I know where two of them are. Um, mm. I I think I, I think this to me seems like a pretty clear spot to check raise. Because I think despite, you know, the removal effects of you having an ace and there being an ace on the board, I think uh, most of his three-bet bluffing candidates are going to have an ace. And the ones that don't, I think, are going to be very inclined to C-bet bluff this board, which is presumably very good for the preflop three-better. And I think then we also have the added benefit of being able to see what the big blind does after that bet. I think there's definitely a chance we're missing some value from, um, you know, maybe the big blind or the button who has a hand like kings or queens and would be willing to call one bet. Uh, but I think going for max value against uh, an ace on the button and, you know, potentially the, the other draws that are present, uh, as well as getting some extra dead money that if you lead, they just c- kind of comfortably fold, uh, weights this towards a, a check raise. I, I think that might be right. But the issue is, I think a lot, uh, you might be missing a lot of value because I think probably a lot of the buttons, you know, three bet bluffing range are suited aces. And even though those are less likely, a lot of those are probably checking, checking back on this flop and they may have called a bet. And if we're arranging, uh, the big blind with a lot of ace king, ace queen in this spot, then I think we're potentially also missing another uh, another bet on this flop from that player when it checks through. And I think it could check through a good amount. But, I mean, if you think that this player has a ton of non-ace bluffs that are going to fire at this flop, then, yeah, a check raise seems best. I also think that they're going to, you know, a player who knows how to thinly overbet the bottom of a straight, I think is going to likely bet this flop with their you know, not so good aces um, I also think that's probably the correct play because of how many draws are out there on the board and you know, how, how most if not all of like the likely draws are in the big blind and you know, low jacks range from this person's perspective uh, Yeah, Leo, what, what were you thinking about when you decided whether the checker to lead? Well, uh, to be honest, I don't I don't recall thinking very much because uh, in game I actually just snap checked. I think it's uh, just partially a bad habit and partially because I felt really confident that the button was going to bet and that I could get the check raise in. And I think a lot of that is because uh, I felt like he was just going to see an ace high flop and figure that it was going to be so good for to see bet at that he would just take that spot and automatically do it. 
there are a lot of uh, gut shots that he might continue uh, that he would probably consider just c betting now. You know, king queen, queen ten, etc. Um, that there are flush draws that he would certainly like consider c betting, um, and I also get to see what the big blind does afterwards after a c bet and. Uh, those were just my uh, my instinctual things, but in retrospect, I probably should have thought about it a little more because leading does have its benefits. Uh, for instance, you're guaranteed not to misvalue against ace king and ace queen uh, or ace ten, um, and I mean like those, that's probably the biggest benefit in my mind. Uh, mm-hmm. But another thing is, I guess another reason why I just kind of snap checked is because uh, I did not want to tank and give them the impression that I had a, uh, a big hand with, like I did. Um, I felt like if I tanked and kind of drew attention to myself at the table, uh, they'd be better able to peg me on a hand that wasn't going to fold. And, you know, it's fine, I guess, if I have, like, the nuts but when I have a hand that they might try to get me to fool later where you know many runouts could drastically change it I just don't want to give away that kind of information yeah I think that's interesting also I think that shows how there's potentially a lot of spots even at you know a, a relatively tough 510 table where you could kind of tank with maybe some draws or hands you're planning on bluffing um, you know, I, I've, I definitely don't make a habit out of doing that type of stuff, but, uh, I, I, I think I've probably done that a few times before, mainly with, you know, not just like a, you know, a random kind of bluffing hand, but like a, you know, a clear kind of draw semi bluffing hand where I really want to maximize fold equity. And, uh, you, you know, you can't make a habit of doing that every time, but, uh, you know, that, that could be something interesting to, to try in the future when you're in the spot with the, you know, King Queen or the, the King Ten of Hearts. Right, definitely. Um, yeah, I'm definitely not pleased with uh, the kind of lack of reasoning behind snap checking that I that I kind of uh, displayed in the hand. But uh, in live poker, I feel like it's pretty easy for me to just get caught up in playing, I guess, instinctually. Uh, so yeah. I kind of felt that that check instinct and uh, kind of just went with it. Yeah, I mean, I think to really, you know, know what is best, we kind of have to do a more kind of extensive like range analysis against the other two players and you know maybe I think so we could make even some small assumptions about their post-flop tendencies but I, I can't imagine there's too much of an EV difference between uh, checking and leading out kind of given given the discussion yeah either um, way I think it's like a, you know probably worth exploring in yeah something like uh, some sort of software Oh, definitely, yeah. Um, you know what? Actually, I'll, I'll, I'm going to hold myself accountable. Put this, put this on the podcast. I will, I will do that range analysis for the podcast. Nice. <laughs> All right, you heard it here. <laughs> Jack, yeah. Jack, edit this out, please. Edit this out. <laughs> no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna copy and paste this like at the beginning of the episode, at the end of the episode. <laughs> okay, 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 man. All right. All right. So what happens? So, next. We check. Uh, after I snap check, the button uh, tanks. He uh, like 
starts to like grab his chips and he checks back. Shit. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But hey, the turn is the five of spades, so now we have added the nut flush draw to our hand. Yeah. Uh, and, and that the, card doesn't likely improve the other players. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean you just know the you just know the buttons holding is five of diamonds or something. <laughs> yeah, I can just feel it. I'm probably just check folding this turn. No. Okay. Well, I'll uh, get the opportunity to check fold because the big blind leads for two sixty into four thirty five. Awesome. And now we have another decision uh, whether to. I mean, folding is of course out of the question. Uh, so call or raise, and uh, if if raise, what size? So this is this is interesting because I, I think you know your range is definitely ahead of their range, which would. You know, my first instinct is to then, you know, raise when you have kind of a a, a range advantage like this. Wait, wait. Yeah. Uh, a range advantage in this in this spot. Yeah, I, I, I. Sorry, I think. Yeah, my bad. I think your exact hand uh, has an advantage over the big lines range. You don't have a range. Yeah. Advantage okay. Here. Yeah, my bad. That makes sense. Incorrect terminology. Uh, so. My my first thought is to raise, given that. But then you have to think about kind of what are they doing with their hands they're betting here for value that aren't draws when you raise. Like, you know, are they just always going to uh, call with, you know, maybe their ace-10 suited uh, or their ace-queen? Probably yes. Like, and then, you know, how many hands that are beating you do they have? Do they have the other two combos of ace-5 suited? Do they have? Do they do they have sets of fives or threes? Or I would say more pertinent uh, would be that I would say if they have a set here, it's a set of jacks. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah, I, I didn't mention jacks because they, you know, they clearly have all combos of jacks there. Uh, but you know, I, that's just one hand. It's like if if they're less, if they're not really likely to have a set of fives or threes, that makes me more inclined to, you know. To raise here, uh, I mean, they're, yeah, six. I mean, they're realistically, I would say they're uh, maybe like four combos of sets because I'm not sure how often he's getting here with fives, uh, and aces. One combo seems unlikely that he wouldn't four bet that, or that he, yeah, unlikely that he would flat those. Um, so yeah, pretty, pretty much four combos of sets, uh, and. I'm not sure if he'd flat ace jack offsuit. Uh, that seems like a pretty ambitious uh, cold call to make. Um, but maybe he's the type of amateur who just stone overvalues uh, offsuit broadways. Um, so maybe there are like two combos of ace jack out there, three, four. Uh, <laughs> um, so that's like what eight combos total to beat us and, uh, yeah and then there are probably how many combos of like ace king and ace queen yeah def- definitely definitely more and I guess the, the, the assumption is that he's likely you know going to be calling with his ace kings and ace queens here especially with two flush draws out on the board yeah I don't know I mean uh, when I feel like people might correctly lay down ace-king and ace-queen to a turn raise, but 
that might be pessimistic. And, and I don't know. I don't it seem like kind of uh, passive and straightforward. Uh, I don't think passive and straightforward necessarily means likely to fold ace king or ace queen in this spot. That's true. Uh, I am thinking we go for a raise here. I'm just sort of t- deciding what's sizing. The reason I think we should raise is because I think stack sizes are we're still deep enough that. So so what was his bet again? Uh, Two sixty. If we, I'm trying to think if what's the merit to going for a small raise here because it's that makes it sort of tough for him to jam uh no i think we should go for a larger raise sizing here uh just because i think that this player is almost always calling you with ace king ace queen and even i know it seemed maybe this isn't true at 510 but i think some players will also you know occasionally raise a hand like ace king or ace queen uh just jam with it thinking that you're you know you have too many bluffs or something and so i think that because we have a flush draw and because there's like the possibility that he's gonna play ace king and ace queen extremely poorly that there's no really horrible situation when we raise and there's a lot of good that can happen yeah i also think we didn't discuss you know what draws he could be leading out with here and if this is a player like yeah, you said he's more passive and straightforward. But if this player especially has like a combo draw, I'm I'm guessing they're probably more likely to bet out on this turn card after a check through in the flop than a check. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, one thing we haven't mentioned is the the button. I mean, uh, I kind of got the feeling with the hand after he checked back the back the flop, but um, I guess uh, I guess we could consider what he would do. You know, when we raise versus when we call. Yeah, raising definitely misses some value from some of the button's hands. I don't think it... I think the main thing... If, I mean, if we think the button is going to, like, you know, come out of nowhere and, like, bluff raise here uh, when we call, that's a great reason to call. But I don't think... I can't think of that many value hands that the button would be checking... On the on this flop, and then, uh, you know, deciding to call after a bet and a call. So I don't think we're missing a ton of like call behind value, other than maybe some draws. Right, and those draws like are just as likely to be the the kind of draws we don't want to see, like uh, nine of hearts or something, than they are. Well, though I guess he's somewhat likely to bet those in the flop. Then yeah. they are to be you know, two spades that will mega cooler if the third spade peels off on the river. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's just not that many there's not a ton of spades left, so Right. There's yeah. not a, a ton of like yeah, th- three betting uh spade combos. Yeah, so I think we all kind of agree this is this is a raise. Um so I'm guessing you raised in game, Leo? Uh, in game, I actually called. Uh, I think um, in game, I kind of uh, probably felt like the big blind was really strong and discounted uh, a little bit too much ace king and ace queen. Uh, and also in game, I thought the button that there was a real chance of the button kind of uh, doing something other than just folding. Um, uh, 
that on the turn I probably should have raised just um, for the reasons you said, really. Uh, I think that's the best way to get value from the uh, the big blind. It's just very unlikely for him to have uh, have us beat. And, you know, even if he does have us beat and he does something like continue in any way, I guess, we have <laughs> we have outs. We have, like, probably at least, you know, 20-something percent equity. Um, and, hmm, I, yeah, I just think it's the best way to target hands that might just, like, check full the bad river, like ace-king or ace-queen. Um, and I really like the point, I think it was uh, Jack, the point that you made was uh, some people might just, like, bet three-bet ace-king or ace-queen or ace-ten or something because it's top pair and a good kicker and they just don't know what to do and they just want to get the money in. And I do see that happen. You know, that happens at every stake. Yeah. It's, that's not, yeah. it's not just, uh, it's just, uh, you know, somebody, I might have, just, you know, you can just sometimes underestimate how big mistakes people are willing to make in this game. So that's probably the number one reason I should raise is to give them an opportunity to spaz, to spaz out with something that two pair is just crushing. Yeah. I mean, whenever you can get three bet as an equity favorite, that's like a good reason to raise. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And the stack size kind of makes it, yeah. makes that not even like the most terrible option. Like if you were in the big blind shoes with like a, you know, an ace king suited, I'm not even sure three betting all in would be that bad given the you know prevalence of draws on the board and the fact that it was checked through on the flop. So uh, okay, but if I'm I'm in the big blind shoes, ace king suited, and I bet and I get raised on the turn, like I'm very strongly going to consider folding, uh, yeah, and maybe yeah. I'm it, but. Uh, Maybe or maybe it's just I overestimate how straightforwardly people are going to play in uh, in multi-way pots as well. Um, but I would very very strongly consider just folding, and I, that could just be a, a, a spot where I'm coming on this podcast and putting a, a target on my forehead that says exploit me. But uh, no. yeah, it depends against the type of player though. Like I think against a passive straightforward player, it's a pretty easy and standard fold. I think against a professional who's going to be more balanced there. Uh, like if someone bets half pot into you on that board and you have, you know, let's say, you know, the, the nut flush draw with just an ace, um, for spades or the, the, you know, the nut heart draw, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of good draws that you can have here that you didn't lead on the flop, which is somewhat standard for those hands to do. And when you get let out here for half pot, I think, you know, a, a raise, could be we're kind of getting down on a, on a tangent here but the point i was just trying to make is that like from this guy's perspective against someone who seems like a comfortable good professional with stack sizes as such i don't think it would be a huge mistake to get ace king all in here but maybe i'm wrong yeah i, I think the problem with that is just the presence of like uh, you know all the threes all the fives all the jacks a ton of ace three and ace five and probably maybe even some ace jack uh in the range, uh, you know, in Leo's range here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do feel so. like, uh, when it does come to value raising, uh, on the turn, ace three would be toward the bottom of that range. Uh, 
for just that exact point that I do have uh, all the sets except aces here probably. Um, and I certainly have would I, I certainly would get here with eight with ace jack this way if I'm checking ace three I'm probably checking ace jack. Um, mm-hmm. I, I would most of the other hands I would consider raising on this turn would I would think of as bluffs. Yeah, but you're also adding like twenty percent equity with the spades. So true. Uh, I mean this this hand is certainly you know against the specific range uh, that we're worried about here. We're almost doing better with this hand than with like a set of threes because like the main hand we're worried about is jacks. But yeah, I mean I think. It, it, it all kind of goes back to like how you're ranging this player pre-flop. Like my instinct was not to include hands like ace king and ace queen, but you've uh, you've convinced me that I think those hands are actually pretty likely. Yeah. Uh, also, if fives and threes are very likely, which I don't think is super likely, uh, given the display description, then I think it's uh, it makes raising here worse, uh, of course, but. Uh, given our assumptions, which I think are pretty sound, yeah, we we can sort of go ahead feeling pretty good about this raise. Or sorry, you called, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, but <laughs> come on, he's our, he's our guest, Jack. Don't needle him that bad. It's okay. If you've listened to some of the, the hands I brought, you won't feel so bad. <laughs> oh, I mean, geez. Or you probably don't feel bad. You should. I mean. Uh, Trust me, I have a, I have a wide, I have a vast archive of hands that I've botched way worse than this one. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know if we can call this a botching, but <laughs> anyway, it's not a botch till the river, which was the nine of diamonds, and might not even still be a botch. Oh wait, so the the button folded, right? The button folded. Excuse me. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it did. Fold. Okay. Uh, and uh, the the river. Nine of diamonds, and mm-hmm. uh, he now bets uh, four fifty into uh, um, nine fifty five, so a little less than half pot. So the question is, uh, do you just decide he has uh, ace king or ace queen and stuff it for value, or uh, decide that he has uh, Jackson fold, or Decide that he has some combination of those and uh, De- call. Definitely not the second one. <laughs> okay, yeah. uh, all right. I didn't do the second one. Yeah, spoiler. I did not. Did not do the second one. The, with stack size, it's a, it's a little bit awkward. So, what did the player bet again? He bets four fifty, and he had probably about like uh, I want to say two k behind. Oh, after that. oh, then never mind. I I think we could pretty comfortably raise fold here to like a smaller sizing. You know. Like between a thousand and twelve hundred. Uh, so kind of for all the same reasons before about how we're ranging this player, um, I think it's kind of a clear raise for value. I think the the merit of that goes down if we think that on the river this player is unlikely, less likely to call the ace king or ace queen, or is maybe more likely because uh, all the draws bricked out, uh, which would be my assumption given what you said about this player. Um, but if that's not the case, then I could see an argument for calling if we think that, you know, he's folding the worst hands that we're value targeting. But I think, based on your descriptions, uh, 
you know, this player is not going to ever three bet jam with a hand that's worse than ours, and that they're very likely to call with kind of all the ace kings and ace queens in their range, given that all the draws bricked out and we played our hand passively. Yeah. I think that's pretty reasonable. I, I do, I'm sort of leaning to a call. Uh, here's part of it. So I think jacks are pretty much always playing exactly this way. You, we could maybe talk about the river sizing. It's sort of s- small, but it doesn't seem like too out of line with like what I'm used to from sort of passive players. Uh, so I think jacks makes a lot of sense. I think ace king, ace queen, ace king is sometimes getting three bet pre flop. Although I think we both we all agree that there's ace king and ace queen in the player's range. But I think some of that is probably choosing the bluff catch here on the river and just check call. So I think because of that, I think the range is a little bit more weighted towards jacks than it had been on previous streets. Uh, And also potentially ace-jack, but we can sort of leave that aside for now. I I mean, I still think a raise-fold is reasonable, but uh, I'm, I'm... sort of shifting towards a call just because I think, you know, because of what I said. Yeah, I'm, it's definitely close. And I think one thing in a uh, game that uh, Zach mentioned that I didn't really even think of was raising small and then folding. Uh, that's probably a big leak that I'm missing out on small value raises like that. Uh, and maybe it's just like fear of uh, getting, getting ripped on and having to fold, getting like four to one or whatever. Um, or just the fear that, you know, after I do make that fold, getting shown, you know, the, the deuce of hearts or, or something like silly. Uh, though I guess if he showed me the deuce of hearts, I guess you could have four deuce. But uh, that I just didn't even really consider it. And that might be him. Thanks for having me discover my leaks. Um, mm-hmm. but, well, I mean, uh, that's actually something. In, yeah. Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. If I can quickly interject, that's actually something we didn't even talk about. Like, if this if this player has bluffs, uh, that's definitely a reason to call. Because one, we're never getting more value uh, from those bluffs, and if there's a risk of getting blown off our hand from a small value raise, you know, getting bluffed. And I think part of the reason Zach advocated for that is because he thinks, and I pretty much agree with him that it's really unlikely we're going to get bluffed. Uh, in this spot, but if we ever if we ever are that that definitely makes uh, raising small for value much worse. A hundred percent agree. I do think this guy is, is straightforward, which is why. I mean, it, given my read of him just being like more straightforward, uh, that I think makes me feel like I'm never he's never going to run a six suicide bluff on me. Hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, so wait. What did you end up doing? I did end up calling, uh, mostly because, I mean, there even though there are, I guess, uh, like 16 combos of ace-king and ace-queen, I, I thought that sometimes he would choose to bluff-catch those on the river instead of uh, barreling again, uh, because when all the draws miss, he can just be like, well, he's going to bluff me now, and I don't want to have to bet call, so I can check call with those hands. I guess trying to get inside his mind there. Um, 
I mean, I, I know sometimes I also think that way uh, in terms of getting to the river with uh, one of those kind of one pair of hands that on, on, a, on a board where all the draws missed, where I feel like I'm just going to fold out all those missed draws if I bet or give myself an opportunity to get bluffed off. Whereas if I just check all, I'm, you know, not, you know, I'm going to win if it gets a showdown or I'm going to win if it gets a showdown and he puts money in or I guess sometimes lose the least to a value bet. So I feel like sometimes those ace kings and ace queens do get checked to me. Uh, another thing is that in the moment I was really kind of just convinced that if he had uh, just an ace, he would find a fold to whatever I raised it to um, and would only call if he had, and maybe not only call, but call the mo- the vast majority of the time I do get called, I felt he would be calling me with ace-jack or jack-jack. Uh, so I did just call. Okay. Should we should we let the listeners know the results? Uh, sure. I was, just, uh, trying, I was trying to build up the suspense. <laughs> uh, the, the results are that uh, he did have the ace and king, so I uh, scooped a, a decent-sized pot that maybe could have been smaller. Uh Depending on what he would have done had I had I raised the turn or river. Yeah, I mean it's based on the way you were talking about the hand. I figured like the two most likely candidates here were Ace King and Jacks in terms of what this player had. Um, and yeah, if, if this if this player is going to play Ace King this way and lead out on the river when all the draws bricked, I also think kind of retrospectively we could then, after knowing that, make the assumption that they would have also been more likely to call a small raise on the turn of the river. Definitely. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much my thoughts. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, cool. Uh, well, yeah, Leo, thank you for bringing this awesome man on the podcast. episode i promised to do a range analysis to help determine whether or not leo should have let out or went for the check raise uh when check two on the flop with the button still to act as a reminder uh leo had the ace three of spades on the ace of hearts jack of spades three of hearts board the big blind checked and now the actions on leo so to really start with this we have to kind of go to pre-flop and really give both villains a specific range so the button this was a player who, you know, showed up with four deuce offsuit post flop and was correctly to a uh, correctly thinly value bet with a large sizing against a player, um, and is three betting the button after Leo isolates a middle position limper. So I think this player could be doing this with a fairly wide range and is likely to be unbalanced towards three bet bluffs. So the value range I gave them was all combos jacks plus and half their combos of tens. Uh, all combos of ace-king suited, ace-queen suited, ace-queen offsuit, ace-king offsuit, and uh, half the combos of ace-jack suited, half the combos of ace-jack offsuit. Uh, and then in terms of kind of the you know more pure bluffs, uh, half the combos of 9-8 suited to queen-jack to king-queen suited, those suited connectors. 
uh, half combos of ace-four offsuit, ace-five offsuit. Not that he'd likely be doing it with exactly those hands and not ace-seven off or ace-two off, but I think, you know, giving him kind of half of those combos, basically one full, you know, ace-x offsuit hand um, is likely the frequency in which he's going to be uh, three-betting light on the button and kind of concurrently half the combos of pocket fours and pocket threes and half the combos of ace-deuce suited through ace-five suited. Um, then in the big line, this was the kind of more straightforward passive player that Leo described, uh, who we thought his range is going to be primarily weighted towards um, kind of like mid-better pocket pairs. Um, so, and and better better aces, so I gave him all combos of eights to jacks, all combos of ace-king off, ace-king suited, ace-queen suited, ace-jack suited, and king-queen suited. Then in terms of the half half combos, I gave him kind of half the combos of ace-ten suited, uh, just one combo of kings, half of his combos of queens, uh, half his combos of ace-queen off suit, and then two combos of ace-jack off. Uh, I think ace-queen off suit is definitely pretty conceivable here. Uh, well, ace-jack is, is not, but I think given the player description, you know, some of these players are going to be calling occasionally with the ace-jack offsuit, uh, especially when they are likely, uh, at least on some level, correctly recognizing that the button is going to be somewhat wide here. Uh, you know, half of his combos of his better-suited connectors, so queen-jack suited, jack-ten suited. Uh, I gave him the full combos of king-queen suited because I think that's just, you know, a really strong hand, and if he thinks that the low jack, if Leo is going to be calling a lot of the time. Um, I think he's going to be very inclined to call a hand like that. Uh, and then in terms of worst pocket pairs and eights, I gave him half the combos of kind of sevens through deuces. Not that I think this player specifically is going to sometimes do, um, you know, sometimes fold sevens, sometimes call sevens, but I think given the information we had, this player is likely to either fold all of those kind of pairs or, you know, call with all of them because if he kind of think he's calling these pairs just because he's set mining, well then uh, while there is some you know, reverse implied odds with pocket deuces versus like a pocket nines, I think still think he's likely going to be calling. Where if he's kind of just thinking on the kind of first level, like, oh, I have pocket tens, it's too good of a hand to fold, versus set mining, then yeah, he's going to be you know, really, probably eights will be the worst pair he has with that mindset. So, when we go to the flop, and we kind of do the equity calculation, which isn't the most helpful thing, but it definitely helps a little bit uh, of our exact hand against their ranges on the the flop of three of spades, ace of hearts, jack of hearts. So we have top and bottom pair with a backdoor flush draw. You know, we have 54% equity against both of their ranges. Uh, obviously, a lot of the time, it's kind of a way, way ahead, way behind situation. Uh, but then there's also draws where it's, it's closer. Uh, so I think when... It's checked to us on this flop. What we should really be thinking is, you know, how how can we get the most value? And while there might be cases where we will have to fold our hand on the flop to serious aggression, uh, whether we lead out or we go for the check raise, I think, you know, most of the time we should be pretty comfortable with our hand given the ranges we uh, gave to these other two players. So first, uh, let's just kind of think if the big blind opted to, you know, check as part of like a mixed strategy of checking or leading out, or if he kind of really never leads out, and I'm kind of more inclined to think the latter, 
against a straightforward passive player as described, I think he's likely going to be checking his entire range on a board with an ace on it after the button 3-bet, opting to likely check call their pairs of aces and most draws and raise their two-pair plus combos and combo draws. This is kind of what, you know, straightforward player would do, and honestly, you know, basically what I would do in this spot. Um, I think the only type of scenario where this player would lead out would be with a hand like maybe ace, kind of ace-king, ace-jack, ace-three, where it's not, you know, they're super nutted hands, but they know that it's a, it's a draw-heavy board, and they don't want it to check through because they're afraid of, you know, getting drawn out on. Uh, so I think there is, you know, a small percent chance that a player, as described, could lead out with kind of their non-nutted but still pretty good value hands. But I think the vast majority of the time you're just going to see this player check their entire range when there's a preflop three better and an ace on the board. So I think, you know, kind of for the purposes of this analysis, we should assume he really just has a checking range here. So what the button is going to do with their range is really going to determine whether it's more plus EV to go for a check raise or to lead out. And, you know, there's certain types of hands he has that it's kind of obvious what he's going to do with them. Like, even an aggressive player I don't think is really ever going to bet queens or kings in this spot in a three-way pot. So the three types of hands that I think will substantially sway whether we should be uh, check-raising or leading out are his pairs of aces, his semi-bluffing candidates, so his you know, gut shot straight draws, his combo draws, and his uh, heart flush draws, and then his complete air. So starting with aces, I think an aggressive player who's going to 3-bet light with like a ace-5 offsuit type hand is going to be betting on this flop. I think he'll recognize it's a draw-heavy board, and we saw him value bet thinly on a river before, so I think you know, it lends more credence to the fact that he's likely going to be thinking, okay, I want to get value from draws. I 3-bet my kind of garbage ace, and now I want to get value from the worst hands and, you know, from my image. So I think he's, the vast majority of the time, going to be betting even his, you know, ace-deuce, ace-four hands. Um, so the semi-bluffing candidates, I think, is where it gets interesting. If, if we lead out, uh, I think he'll be likely to raise with at least his better flush draws, like, um, and especially all of his combo draws. And that puts us on a really in a really tough spot on the turn, because 3-bet getting in on the flop, or 3-bet folding on the flop, you know, 500 big steep to start the hand with top and bottom is a really big disaster, even against a pretty aggressive player. You have to take kind of a really spewy player to make 3-bet getting it in... Uh, correct or to make three bet folding correct like someone who's just so unbalanced where they're you know raising our our lead out super wide but then never four betting uh, and that could be this this player but i don't think we have enough information to make that specific of a read and then while if we check raise it's well not ideal i i do feel pretty comfortable f- folding um to a three bet as even people with this lucifer range pre that are you know, have shown aggressive tendencies, I think they're unlikely to 3-bet jam without a hand that's crushing us, or like king-queen or king-ten of hearts exactly, and I'm, you know, very comfortable folding top and bottom against that range, which is, you know, crushing us. Um, and now to kind of the third category, complete air. Even if Villain checks back most of their complete air, leading out ensures we get no value from the times he does decide to stab, and while check-raising, we do get uh, value from his air. So, given the other two factors we already discussed, I think in total, going for a check raise is, you know, clearly the most profitable line, and 
kind of to, to add even more to that, given the player description, I think it's a fair assumption to say that he'll be c-betting his complete error, you know, around 50% of the time when check two. Um, and I didn't even mention the benefit of seeing what the big blind does. Uh, so, like, if he check raises large after the button bets, I think we can make an exploitably tight fold against a passive, straightforward player and, you know, save the money the times he has us uh, really crushed. So, love to know what you think, if you think it maybe is a lead-out. Uh, I think it's definitely, like Leo suggested in the podcast, something worth exploring. And I think in general, uh, in multi-way pots and heads-up pots, people are likely not leading out enough. But I think this is a spot where kind of going for the classic check raise uh, was the best play.